Welcome back to Hellbound, a Clive Barker podcast brought to you by Exa Cinema Club. Carl and I are back for the second episode. Last episode, we talked a lot about, we did a big deep dive into Hellraiser and kind of that middle sequel uh, weird zone um, and, and touched on the later sequels. And, and we talked about Clive Barker in general and what we like about his work and, and some of his his writing traits that... Um, kind of stand out to us and, and what really draws us to his work and kind of how, how other people have adapted his his base stories. This week, we are kind of more honing into one specific adaptation. Um, we're talking about um, The Midnight Meat Train and its subsequent adaptation. Um, Carl, what is your base opinion of the, the story Midnight Meat Train? Uh, well, The Midnight Meat Train is obviously, you know, Pretty special to me in particular, since mm-hmm. I have it tattooed on my cock and balls. <laughs> of course. Yeah, building the ECC mythos. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I, I think this is a really good story. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it reads extremely well, right? Like, I yeah. am a person who has difficulty reading. But this one, it just... Uh, it's 20-something pages. Yeah. It's extremely captivating. It's very exciting. Um, just really a good read. Yeah, it builds like a, a really strong mythos in such a short page count as well. It's it's such a full like horror story in such a short amount of time. Um, the uh, I guess we should get into what the Midnight Meat Train is. Um, it is it's the first story I believe. Yeah, it's the first story in the Books of Blood. So Clive Barker's series of like six anthology books full of short stories. We talked about them a little bit last week, um, but it's a selection of his short writing. Um, the Midnight Meat Train being the first proper story that comes in the first one, the very first like prologue being Books of Blood. But this is this is the first story proper. Um, it is about uh, the New York subway system. Uh, it is about um, a guy, I think he's like an office worker. I can't remember what his role is in the actual book. Um, yes, he's a guy, he, he, he moves, works in he, an office. Yeah, he moves to New York. He's, he's always been infatuated with New York. He moves to New York and realizes that it's not very good, <laughs> but he's still like trying to cling on to this this, uh, this lost love of New York. Um, and just as he's kind of having this realization that New York is maybe not that good, there have been killings on the New York subway system. Um, they are, their, their bodies go missing and then they rock up later, um, kind of butchered. Um, and as the story goes on, he gets kind of intrigued with it. Um, we're introduced to um, this character, Mahogany, who is the person who is on the train killing people. Um uh, how their their lives sort of intertwine and what his role is and they kind of they end up meeting on the subway. Um the uh he witnesses the the butcher mahogany um well butchering people on the train. Um he there's a big sequence of him being kind of trying to hide and, and stay out of line of sight. Um at one point the uh the conductor of the train comes around and or the, the driver of the train coming bro um and and realize that there is some kind of wider 
thing going on between them because they both know each other, they both know what's going on. Um, and the story uh, leads us to the end of the train line uh, where it is revealed that the bodies have been uh, butchered to feed uh, a bunch of cannibals that live under New York City. Um, and it's a big old system that has been upheld for generations upon generations that is like a systemic um, kind of brutality that's been going on this whole time. Um, and things like Mahogany ends up being taken care of and uh, Kaufman, who is the office worker, I can't remember if I said his name, um, he is kind of roped into this cult uh, pact to carry out the will of these cannibal creatures um, and he becomes this enslaved uh, butcher for the Midnight Meat Train and that is how the story wraps up. Yes, it's a very interesting ending to the story. Yeah. Um, like very few of the, of the books of blood mm -hmm. uh, have happy endings. Not a, uh, yeah, very few do. Or yeah. like yeah, Barker himself uh, states as much in his foreword that yeah, it's not really a collection of of tales with happy endings, and yeah, in the mythos itself of the book as well, since these are the stories told by people who have had. Uh, pretty horrifying stories, right? They've had yeah. terrible deaths. Otherwise, they would not be in this particular passage. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. I think this one is interesting in the sense that while it is kind of objectively uh, an unhappy ending, mm -hmm. he becomes... Uh, well, he gets his tongue ripped out, he can't talk anymore, and he has to kill people, right? Yeah. But the way it's framed, it's almost as uh, a kind of salvation thing. Yeah. Where he, he has had this theme of cynicism throughout the entire book, and this is like the thing that's like, okay, New, yeah. York, New York is dope as shit. <laughs> yeah, like servitude is like the purpose he's been looking for in New York. Yeah. And it's also, uh, this is one of the few stories... Uh, where Barker, he does a lot of different subgenres, but this mm -hmm. is one of the ones where he touches upon this like cosmic Lovecraftian mm -hmm. uh, esque horror, where uh, uh, like you say, there's these cannibals, the the founding fathers of New York, and they also show him towards an even older being, mm -hmm. um, and it's this whole uh, like this very. Lovecraftian thing, and it, it it comes up in like in the hills of the cities as well, where it's like, in the face of greatness such as that, right? You can't do mm -hmm. anything but worship. Yeah, it's kind of what he's playing around with, and I think it's really interesting from that point of view. Yeah, no, it it definitely is in that regard. Um, this is also one of the one of the stories that feels like overtly Clive Barker commenting on like class and things it definitely comes up without through his work but like like mahogany refers to kaufman as as like a as a jew and and like he's getting what he deserves by you know like mm -hmm. the, the violence that's being brought upon him um there's a whole lot of systemic like um um like abuse and racism being upheld um to support the system of of these cannibals um 
it is very much like <laughs> the 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 upper classes kind of maintaining a horrific order to subjugate the people below them um ironically above them it's mm-hmm. a it is very overtly like a commentary commentary on that which while Clive Barker has as I said like in the hills of cities it's obviously a lot about like Balkan Balkan politics and plenty of other Clive Barker stories I mean he you know Clive, uh, Candyman being a big one as well but this just feels also just so much more overt and like especially it being the first story in the book it's definitely a kind of a statement in a way oh yeah incredibly strong start also like one of the most i don't know what to say typical structure following ones one of the more action focused ones i guess is what i'm looking for yeah uh, it's constantly it's, moving yeah uh-huh it's exciting um the scene where uh, Kaufman is on the train back home and he's kind of dosing in and out of sleep yeah while unbeknownst to him the butcher is kind of carrying out his work i think it's yeah. one of the best things i've read in the book so far oh yeah no it's that, that is definitely it, it is it's it's written in in a very different way i feel to a lot of his stories mm-hmm. a lot of like for a story that is a lot of very um like it's, it's obviously very internal there's not a lot of actual dialogue in the book in the story it's a lot of um kind of either scene observation or internal stuff it it does have a really interesting action flow to it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like the the actual showdown between Kaufman and Mahogany isn't that long. It's only a couple passages long. Mm. Um, but the descriptions of uh, like Kaufman waking up and realizing everything that's going on, fainting, waking yeah. back up again, realizing he's uh, had you know a luck of fate and ended up underneath the seats, effectively mm-hmm. hiding him from the butcher, uh, making yeah. his escape. The door accidentally gets flung open, but the butcher doesn't notice. And then what sets him off is he accidentally like stumbles into this lifeless corpse hanging from the yeah. train handles and lets out a scream. Mm-hmm. Very visceral. It's very exciting. I really like it. Yeah. I wish that particular scene had been adapted into the movie. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, I, I, it's also just like a really simple, like simple iconography in it. Like the the subway system as like an organ below the city that is keeping everything going. The the very obvious like train line loop for for the cyclical violence that is happening. It is all very very simple, but done really well. And kind of really helps to to flesh out um, the the narrative. It's it's really interesting. Yeah, and then as we touched upon last time as well, uh, like Barker's choice of words, in particular in descriptive mm. situations, is really strong in this one. Yeah, for uh, sure. The like butchered corpses are often described using more like euphemisms and positive words. Um, yeah, often to reflect upon like mahogany's craft right how good he is as a Mm -hmm. butcher and i think as it goes on at one point uh from kaufman's point of view the sliced meat of one of the corpses is described as like being succulent or looking delicious oh yeah yeah which is like yeah that's the kind of story this is 
Yeah, there's a lot of like art and culinary kind of science can apply to the the bodies of people in this in this story and like yeah. the treatment of them by mahogany. It it brings back what we were talking about last time of of the 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 very specialist type of of um terror that Clive Barker writes that it's all very like carnal and very like intimate the the kind of observation of of what is like transparently like brutality being being artistic and being um desirable and and like being a culinary art is very very unnerving but it works so well yes definitely especially in a story about cannibals right about um yeah it's i i don't know the proper word for it but it's like subtextual foreshadowing in a way yeah yeah uh, it gets the reader primed into understanding what kind of story is being told yeah and then as well like kind of tying into the ending where kaufman seemingly has found some sort of like uh peace within his new mm-hmm. station kind of as, as if to show that like yeah maybe he was always like destined for something like this maybe he was always the type uh, mm-hmm. and and he is shown to have like these voyeuristic tendencies throughout the entire thing as well yeah i mean he's fascinated by the the the, the missing bodies and he's fascinated by the the potential brutality that's been going on the whole mm-hmm. time uh when he first realizes that there's murder going on on the train I think the text says something like, uh, because he initially thinks someone is being raped, and I think the text <laughs> says something like, uh, with no reason other than sheer voyeurism, he yeah. moved toward the curtain to try and get a glimpse. Which, like, that's that's not, you know, heroic. <laughs> no, yeah, he's definitely not heroic. It's, it's arguable whether he's even a victim in this situation. Yeah. Um, it's but it, it's one of those things of like again the the subway as like an organ under the city that is this fueling this this like generational long um system of of uh brutality him being a new york resident is in some way fueling this this trauma that is constantly happening and like you know him being an office worker for instance is like you know very easy like oh yeah he's a cog in the machine and and he has now become a cog in a much bigger more brutal machine mm-hmm. yeah it's a lot of really interesting stuff there i love yeah. new york as a set piece and how uh barker uses it as well i've never been to new york but i imagine nah. if you have or if you live there um you can get a lot more out of this story but i love the yeah um the uh term for it the palace of delights that Kaufman <laughs> used to have and now kind of uses ironically. Um, not yeah. he's, he's become more of a cynic and then it goes back to him using it um, in the original way. And it says, uh, he, he's kind of, uh, after having suffered this ordeal, he comes out of the station and kisses the ground. And oh, says, the yeah. The of delights receive the adoration without comment. Yeah. And that's a very Barker thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely one of the strongest in even in in that book. I mean, like in the first volume of Books of Blood, you got Midnight Meat Train, 
You've got Yathrig and Jack, which is a very different story. Um, it's really funny. <laughs> Drex, Death, and Starshine is maybe the least like notable of the stories, just purely because it's it's very it's almost generic in a way. It's it's a good story, but it's like it's kind of boring. <laughs> it's kind of boring. It's very yeah. It feels like I think it it, it relies a bit. It relies a bit on you having been to the theater in your life. Yeah, well. yeah. And then, like, Pig Blood Blues is pretty similar to this one of, like, a lot of very systemic abuse oh, yeah. and, and um, kind of cyclical violence. That sort of thing is, is very cool. But, like, Midnight Meat Train just, just stands really alone as, as distinct in that book. I mean, like, In the Hills of Cities, I said last week, is, is one of my favorite horror stories of all time. But, like, it's a very different type of story to that one. Like, I feel you kind of, it kind of all builds up to this last, um, last action, whereas the Midnight Meat Train is this constant, continuous action that works so well. Yeah, it, it makes me wonder if the uh, stories are published in the order that he wrote them, or mm-hmm. if, uh, if they're published in the order that he saw them fit, because... Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, because, like, as I mentioned, I think Midnight Meat Train is overall, like, the most concise, um, yeah. like, thoroughly good story that he has. I can, like, we, we mentioned in the last episode, I can respect In the Hills to Cities. I think it's a really cool concept mm-hmm. that I think occasionally he doesn't really follow through in the execution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you mentioned, it's also very backloaded. Yeah. The story. Uh, I think the Yattering and Jack is a really funny concept. <laughs> it's it's very good, <laughs> but it's it's out of place as well in this book. I think uh, not out of place necessarily, but it's not apt for comparison. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it's about a demon who is just desperately trying to haunt a guy who's like whose job is like he imports like pickles. <laughs> like, yeah, and he's it's struggling. Yeah, he's just this unhauntable guy, and it's just a comedy of errors in it. It's it's like notable for being comedic because it's like I'm pretty sure like that story ends with the demon being on the like the demons on the losing hand, like the the random like pickle guy is the one who wins that scenario. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. The demon like goes insane because he cannot figure <laughs> out how to make this guy tick. Uh, Pig Blood Blues, as you mentioned, I think that's also like a pretty like all the way through, start to finish, a good, mm-hmm. concise, easy to follow, well structured yeah. story. Um, yeah, but that's more of, more of a, a slow burn mystery kind of deal. Yeah, I mean, it Pig Blood Blues also comes with the kind in current uh, inherently kind of funny ending. Like the big demonic pig is just very funny <laughs> it's the idea of a bunch of like possessed school kids walking around with a giant pig that is like eating people and and it's very silly as as good as the constant like um action is in that story yeah i think that's an interesting thing as well about barker is that like uh he takes these concepts that could be very silly but mm-hmm. depending on the angle for which they are portrayed, they can uh, they can come across as, as far more uncomfortable, discomforting. Like the Midnight uh-huh. Meat Train isn't a, a title that screams like this is going to scare you. 
it's a title Ooh. that screams sexual innuendo. Yes. <laughs> in the Hills to Cities, like that concept could just as well have been a, a comedic one as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the imagery doesn't necessarily have to be evoking the, the sorts of emotion that he goes for. I'm trying not to spoil this one. <laughs> I'm not going to say the best one because that's we can have discussions about that, but I think this uh-huh. is the most well-executed one in the Books yeah. of Blood, part one. Yeah, I mean, it's unsurprising that this one is one of the ones that got, like, a feature-length adaptation. Um, like, not many, like, there are a few that have, and the ones that have are very debatably. I mean, like, Candyman has got a story that kind of long stretches past what the original story is. Rawhead Rex, of all things, got one, and that movie is very, like generic monster movie um i don't even know other ones that like actually got full like adaptations dread did which is it is another one kind of like this that has um like a lot of intrigue throughout the works i think the movie is actually really different to the 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 story i don't know any others that actually got like full adaptations yeah i know there's been like two anthology movies about the entire book of blood uh, but those haven't been well received. I think they mostly follow like the first story and kind of spread out from there. From what I know, they kind they're kind of about the Book of Blood than about like oh, the okay. stories within it. Um, I know that at least like the older Books of Blood movie is like that. Um, whether. Like they kind, of, I'd imagine they probably draw from some of the stories within them, but I think they are mostly like about that first story, which is a shame because some of the stories in Books of Blood, like across its six volumes, you could definitely make like a like creep show esque um, like anthology movie. Like Yattering and Jack would be a very easy one to adapt into, uh, like you know, like a twenty five minute like segment of a of an anthology movie. I think that one has been adapted actually. I think I read that. I think it might have point. been actually. Yeah. I think it might actually have been in like a, an anthology show or something. Yeah, um oh, I suck at names. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was some kind of anthology thing. Yeah. It might be the one that John Carpenter acts in or TV series Tales from the Dark Side. Oh, from 1987. Okay. Oh no, it's created by George A. Romero. That's ah right. So it's that that was made as like a kind of follow up to Creep Show. So I guess yeah, that kind of it kind of did get a Creep Show ask <laughs> uh, adaptation. But like, um, yeah, as we were saying, like Midnight Meat Train is the only story that's gotten like, um, besides Candyman and Rawhead Rex, it's the only story that's gotten a a full feature-length adaptation um and like quite a successful one as well from what i know like it's it's not as a it's more of a cult classic than a like famous movie it's nowhere near as iconic as like Candyman, but it's you know it, it was it wasn't it wasn't a flop i think it did pretty well on release mm-hmm. okay take that back it was it, it was a limited release but <laughs> it was uh okay. Well, it it has Vinnie Jones in one of the leading roles, so it should. Yeah, and Bra- Bradley Cooper. I think Bradley Cooper was pretty established in two thousand eight. I think by two thousand eight, he was pretty established. So, like, 
there's like there's at least two like big big name actors in that movie um mm-hmm. and there's ted Raimi in there like well yeah <laughs> briefly <one> scene. <laughs> he's, he's listed on uh wikipedia as like starring <laughs> so, of course he is um ted Raimi just shows up in movies like he's, he's in he's in Candyman at the start of Candyman as well um yeah, I think he immediately just gets a dies. bunch of horror cameos. Yeah, it's that's what you get when your your brother is like horror comedy legend. Yeah, I mean he has pretty like small cameo roles in like Evil Dead as well, right? So yeah, yeah, he probably, shows up throughout Evil Dead. Yeah, so probably Sam started the tradition. Even mm-hmm. he's in the new uh, the new Until Dawn uh, development, right. the Quarry, huh? And they do this like face capturing technology, so it's it's like extremely him as well. Oh, interesting. David Arquette is there as well. They play brothers. Oh, perfect. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So as we've said a number of times, Midnight Meat Train got adapted in two thousand eight. Um, initially, was going to be directed by I cannot like me remember his name, um, Patrick Tatopoulos. Probably butchering that. Um, <laughs> he he is actually pretty like in terms of movies that uh, Access Cinema Club would be interested in. He was the production designer for um, Alien vs Predator and Resident Evil Extinction, um, Pitch Black okay. starring Vin Diesel, and The Chronicles of Riddick. Um, okay. He did a number of Zack Snyder movies, um, the Roland Emmerich Godzilla movie. Uh, among other Roland Emmerich movies. So he's pretty, like, established um, kind of, like, production designer guy. And apparently he also directed some other things as well. But he was set to he was set to direct it. Um, and then he dropped out of the production and um, Ryuhei Kitamura picked up. And Kitamura has been brought up a number of times whenever um, I've had Asuka on. We, we are both big fans of his work. Uh probably most well-known for this movie, but he, uh, depending on your circles, uh, Godzilla Final Wars uh, versus, uh, he's done a, a number of smaller smaller budget horror, American horror movies. Um, he is absolutely big maximalist excess guy. I'm a big fan of his work. Um, and he took on the, the directing for this movie. Um, I believe they also moved production from New York to LA just because New York is so expensive to film in. Um, so the New York subway is actually the Los Angeles subway, <laughs> from what I know. Um, I can't believe this. Uh, American American cinema are not actually filming in the cities that, <laughs> that they're set in. Um, it's, yeah, as we said as well, it stars Bradley Cooper as Kaufman and uh, Vinnie Jones as Mahogany. Um, and it kind of expands the story out more. Um, it focuses a lot more on Kaufman's, uh, like girlfriend or, or partner. Um, there is a handful of other characters. And the most key difference is that, uh, instead of Kaufman being a office worker, he is now a photographer. Um, and this movie is extremely like a, a take on um like blow up blow out the the those those two movies is a very uh focused on like the camera lens and and capturing 
capturing the city in in a way no one else can and and photography at least partially is a big part of of the setup for this movie um and the setup for Kaufman becoming involved in the in in the midnight meat train in this one is he gets a gets a chance to talk to a big um like art gallery um commissioner i can't remember what the term is for that but like she she is like a hot shot in the in the professional art um commercial art like industry um he shows her his work which he he proclaims is taking pictures of the city like no one's ever seen it she kind of scoffs at that and is like yeah you should maybe work a little harder and and go a bit deeper um at which point he starts becoming slightly obsessed with taking pictures of quite grim scenarios the main first one being there is a a gang of guys harassing and and a, a sexually harassing a a model on the subway like down on in in the subway station and he's just there taking pictures of them he's <laughs> very much overtly into that voyeurism that we uh we talked about earlier in the book um and he in very bizarre fashion confronts the gang by like luring them over to a security camera and pointing it out so they realize maybe we shouldn't be doing this and they leave <laughs> which is funny then the model ends up getting on the train uh we get off our, our first proper look at mahogany um and the model subsequently gets taken out by mahogany and um her m- missing status starts to intrigue uh Kaufman and that is sort of the the setup for how he gets kind of obsessed with the uh the the midnight meat train yeah far more active role taken by Kaufman in the movie yeah uh, he's, yeah he's so much more like like there is so much more work putting into him being like obsessed while it, obviously it's a very different approach it's not necessarily better um it's so much more work to put into like making him putting him in the right place to become obsessed mm-hmm. yeah he goes full-on pepe sylvia over, yes uh, <laughs> that, over yeah there is a scene that's literally just there uh-huh um yeah i, I know you're a big fan of this movie mm-hmm. uh, i have a bit of uh, trouble separating myself from the whole like uh different so bad mindset mm-hmm. <laughs> that's fair especially considering i i like the original story so much mm-hmm. um i will say i uh, I am fairly surprised that I don't see more people talking about this movie visually. Oh yeah, there's in, some really in, like, good movie circles. Yeah, there's a, a lot of really interesting and fun stuff here. Uh, my mind immediately goes to the scene of, uh, I think it's Ted Raimi's girlfriend getting her head cut off in POV. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, the and camera the, uh... spins as the head does a flip, and we see the reflection in the pool of blood below. Yeah, that's good. And like seeing Mahogany from like a sideways view as he does this stuff and then it like pulls out and is a beheaded <laughs> it's a beheaded woman. Yeah. Um it also uh, has um I also really like how they adapted the the like mechanical kind of organ of the the subway in this and like how blood splattered over the the carriage floor kind of looks like like dark void or like oil or something over the floor it's very like 
inhuman. It's it's really interesting in that regard. Um, yeah, blood as a mirror is used a lot in this. Yeah, I, things as mirrors in general is used a lot in this. Windows, actual yeah. mirrors, cameras, obviously. Blood. Yeah, yeah. Visually, there's uh, there's a lot to talk about with this movie. Mm-hmm. Narratively, I think is where it gets confused. Yeah. It's, as I said, there is a lot more work put into Bradley Cooper Kaufman getting obsessed with the Midnight Meat Train to the point where he does go full Pepe Sylvia mm-hmm. with it. Um, the They they kind of um, expand the whole, like, systemic um, brutality through the, like, the cops are, like, um, explicitly involved. Um, like, uh, there is, you know implications that the press have have uh, links as well it is very much like uh no one besides the uh the the characters in the movie are like fully comprehending what is actually happening because there there are either people who are involved or people who are like have just been butchered um it mm-hmm. is for the longest time the only character who has any like proof that there is anything happening is Kaufman um yeah there are some very like obvious uh, police neglect um, hints at there being something uh, more dark happening, um, like trying to get him to to bring in his evidence and stuff so that they can dispose of it. Um, there's a yeah, there's a lot of like it it definitely expands the movie out into um, much further beyond what the short story does in a way that does definitely kind of muddy the the flow of it. Uh, yeah, I, I think it has different implications, I guess, for the themes of the story. Yeah. is a big thing as well. We talked a lot about um, when we were discussing the, the short story about Kaufman's like cynicism and uh, his like view on New York. Uh-huh. And that's something that the movie makes attempts at, I feel. But yeah. it, it does not go further. Uh I like I love the deli scenes in the in the film. Oh yeah. I like also the idea of like Kaufman getting more entrenched in this, becoming more of a New Yorker and starting to eat meat. Uh, oh yeah, again. yeah. That, that's an yeah, that's another thing I that like he's he's explicitly like a vegan vegetarian. He's like one of his first uh, requests is to get tofu at his, his friend's tofu. deli. Unseasoned tofu at his friend's deli, um, and then as the movie goes on, he is seen like he he tries like um, a plate of steak or something, um, and then he's like, "Yeah, give me give me a whole steak." <laughs> yeah, I think that's really interesting as well, considering mm-hmm. the. Uh, it goes back to what we talked about about how a Barker mm-hmm. describes these horrendous like uh, butcherings using yeah. flowery terms, like them looking succulent and things like that. And then you have obviously you can't translate that well into a visual medium like this. And so instead you have Kaufman witnessing these horrible murders and shit, and yeah. being like, "Yeah, I could eat some meat right now." Uh huh. Uh, which obviously then becomes a parallel to the later scene where we see these kind of monstrous things devour people yeah. on the train. 
where where I feel like the the narrative confusion arises comes from the fact that it kind of appears to slightly explore several avenues that could be interesting for the story. Definitely. And yeah. electing not to really choose any of them. You have the kind of things with uh, Leon having to balance his relationship between his mm-hmm. obsession. And that's something that I can only assume there was a lot of things cut from that. Yeah. Because it is not a compelling narrative. Uh, at least I don't think it is. No, um, it's very weird. His relationship with his, his partner is very... It Yeah, it definitely feels like stuff was cut because there are scenes, like there is a proposal scene that doesn't lead anywhere. Obviously, like, uh, spoilers for the movie, like his partner ends up dying um, in a uh, in a full, like, beating heart ripped from chest way, which is always pretty sick to see, honestly. Um, oh, yeah, dope as hell. <laughs> um, but yeah, there is, like, an, in- like an engagement scene where, where Kaufman's like, oh, it's, it's I can't afford a an engagement ring, but this is us being engaged to be engaged. Um, there is a entirely awful sex scene in the deli um, that is... Yeah. What was just, that supposed to evoke? <laughs> that is just atrocious, which I can only assume was like meant to be Kaufman kind of getting more obsessed with violence and stuff because it's very distinctly not sexy at all. It is very purely like like carnal and like utilitarian sex. It is yeah, not. Yeah, it, it gives like, extremely non-consensual vibes. Yeah, and I can only assume that there was maybe there was stuff in the screenplay that was like talking about that or like was there some like discussion where they weren't having sex at a point and now like this is like an like you know it's a significant moment but he's too wrapped up in other things to actually do it properly or anything it is Mm. very it is yeah it's it's not a good scene at all and it feels like you could have just cut it like um but yeah the relationship stuff definitely feels very superfluous for things because you could actually yeah you could take out his girlfriend from the movie and nothing really changes there's scenes that would be changed like his girlfriend at one point goes to mahogany's apartment um and that is where they are both uh well her and the deli not the deli owner it's the um it's the motherfucker called jurgis jurgis yeah who i think is the art guy he's the guy who gets kaufman linked up i always get those two confused the deli guy's just there um jurgis gets um, kidnapped by Mahogany at his apartment and um, that is how um, the girlfriend ends up on the train at the end. Yes. But in terms of Kaufman and Mahogany, nothing would greatly change if you took out that entire part of the story. Yeah, in, in particular because we've already been to Mahogany's apartment. Yes. We, yes we've that had is actually... one-on-one scenes with Mahogany, so this isn't yeah. providing new information for us. Yeah, what I think you could have done is you take out all of the stuff with his girlfriend and um, put more stuff into the kind of art world um, connections because that's another thing that doesn't really go very far. Like yes. there's there there are scenes at um, there you know there are stakes involved for him getting these pictures um, to the the uh, the art um, collaborator. There are like there are like art shows where he's talking to. 
um, buyers and things. And like he's disinterested because the narrative is happening. But like I think you could maybe explore that more because distinctly him and his camera is so key to what's happening in the movie. Um, yeah, it, it feels like the stakes aren't there because... He, yeah. Like, I, I can buy that he gets obsessed and suddenly doesn't care about his job, for sure. Yeah. Uh, that's entirely plausible. But then him being at this art gallery, which we already know, like, is important to him uh, in terms of career, but isn't important to him in terms of where he's at in his head. And yes, exactly. That lessens the impact of him having this, like rom-com moment of being like i have to do something different right now running yeah. away from there and then having this like i have to confront this great evil uh moment where he uh like you say on letterboxd qte jumps onto the train which is a really <laughs> fun scene right but he hasn't yeah. been portrayed as this great heroic character either who would do something like this especially considering he doesn't know that his girlfriend is on the train at the moment yeah so that was something i was gonna bring up that because it seems in the beginning of the movie that they're trying to do a bit more of a Jake Gyllenhaal Nightcrawler thing with him. Yes, yes, yeah. And that does come through as well. Like there, are, like when he's following Mahogany, there's that first scene where he's following Mahogany down down that um, street, and Mahogany like stops and like wordlessly, obviously grabs him, and he's like floundering for why he was there and yet mm -hmm. continues to become obsessed and it, it's you know like um very obviously like a like a kind of homosocial um thing happening there of him becoming obsessed with this guy um not to mention the very obvious meat <laughs> like analogies yeah. going on um a scene that definitely stands out with that is during the day Mahogany works at, like, he works at, a, like, a meatpacking plant, at, like, a, a butchery, um, and there's this big industrial um, warehouse um, where they have, like, a bunch of meat hanging up, like, like I guess you like, cows or, like, whatever, big, big livestock hanging out. Um, and uh, at one point, Kaufman goes there to sort of take more pictures of of. Um, of mahogany there is one of the pictures that like uh the the art um arts commissioner really likes is is vinnie jones just looking really angry holding the knife out <laughs> um which precedes mahogany like trying to go um chase um kaufman down and they they go into this big labyrinth of of hanging meats and at one point to like hide his feet kaufman like climbs up onto this big like stripped <laughs> piece of meat mm -hmm. which doesn't work at all it's, it's a very funny scene um yeah. which again like i think you could quite easily make it that it's kaufman that goes to mahogany's apartment there is so much set up for like that to be what happens and like yeah take jokers along if, if you need a reason for him to ultimately get on the train you know Kaufman yeah. didn't need it in the end. Like, as you said about the scene where he doesn't know his girlfriend on the train, like, he, he's already kitted out in, like, butcher's chain mail. He's got the meat hook. He's got all yeah. of this other kit to go, like, take on Mahogany. Yeah, he's but already geared he up gets for, there, for the raid boss. It's only when he gets there and he's going to jump on the train anyway that he sees his girlfriend, like, crossing between the carriages and he does a big, like overdramatic like no scream and then he jumps on the train 
he was already there to get on the train. So there's no yeah. need. Like it, it, it's very the 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 scripting, like the 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 beat to beat scripting of this movie is very bizarre. Of what things, what consequences there are for things because. He was already set to get on the train. This isn't a like he didn't get like a like a tape in the mail saying I've I, I've got your girlfriend. Come come on the meat train. <laughs> he was he was just gonna do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And like uh, yeah, and I, I don't mean to to rag on this movie too much. Um, oh no, yeah, <laughs> but, but but I do. I, the the fact that it is so confused. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it disappoints me because I think there is a lot of potential for this story. Uh, yeah. and I think the, the the final thing I I would like to bring up is the uh, the identity of the like cannibals in this film. Oh yeah, where I I don't understand the change uh, between the book and the movie. Where in the book, uh, the cannibal like these these weird monster freaks. Uh, they explain to Kaufman like his role, and they say, yeah. "Well, you've killed Mahogany. Now you have to do his job, because we have to be fed." Uh, and yeah. they rip out his tongue and eat it because they are the cannibals. Yes. In this movie, we get pretty much zero insight into who they are. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It's they might as well just be zombies. Yeah, yeah. They might as well. Uh, it's it's very different. It changes it from like, oh yeah, we are the system that has been running your city this whole time. This this like bloodshed is all for us. We're doing it. To oh, there are a bunch of like wolves or zombies under New York who are who we're feeding, and the yeah. train driver is the only one with like that kind of impetus to like. And, and he is stuff. the one who eats the tongue as well, but he's a normal yeah guy. yeah. That's another thing. <laughs> like and it. it it comes across as taking a scene from the movie and or from the book and not fully understanding it, or maybe originally having a separate vision, but something was left on the cutting room floor or time constraints yeah. or or production, you know, mishaps, right? These yeah. things happen. Uh, but that was disappointing. And that as well, like, uh, like for one, the death of his girlfriend in that scene. Like you mentioned, baller scene, like really cool. Yeah. <laughs> that they ripped the heart out. Uh, the impact is lessened by the fact that Kaufman is seemingly like, uh, well, partly he's he's uh, not in any particular danger at the moment. Because mm-hmm. the conductor's just having a chat with him. But then also at the end of the movie, we have no real insight into why he is butchering. Yeah. Because the movie has portrayed him uh, as being a kind of opportunistic uh, Jake Gyllenhaal Nightcrawler guy. It has yeah. portrayed him as being a heroic figure. Mm-hmm. And it has portrayed him as being a good boyfriend struggling with his obsessions. Yeah. And I don't think any of those reads fit into why he would be doing this, except for maybe the first one, but that's yeah. not really the vibe I get, especially with him having the picture of his dead girlfriend, as if he is somehow doing it in her sake, yeah. memory, right? Yeah, which is another reason why you could take the girlfriend out, and like I think a lot of things just click better, because 
there is there is so much more of like the original book of like him getting more obsessed with the kind of lurid parts of New York and is is going further and further with his obsession to the point where the guy he's been like obsessed with as this kind of icon of New York's brutality is now him, which I think mm-hmm. is I think would be such I mean generally I think in the movie it still becomes that, but like it couches it in like you as you said, this weirdly heroic side, which doesn't work as well. Yeah, um, it, it takes a lot of twists and turns to get where it needs to go instead of taking a uh, a pretty direct approach, which might might have been fitting for a train movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, also opens up the door for more uh, veiny, uh, like sexual, uh, <laughs> yes. chemistry kind of stuff. Uh huh. I will say I, I really like the idea of casting uh, casting this really out of place buff guy, yeah, uh, as, as uh, mahogany uh, instead yeah. of as he's described in the book, which is like this past his prime kind of uh, weak and fragile man. Yeah. They they make mahogany a really strong image in this movie. Like Vinnie Jones in general, great actor anyway. Like he he has such good presence. The meat mallet as like his weapon of choice is phenomenal. Like it's you know, it just adds it's not just a knife or like a, any kind of blade, it is a blunt force trauma weapon. Yeah. It is first kill in the movie goes hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. It really adds some like like um physical labor to his kills that feel good and that that really um fits well with the what actually does still come through in this of the very artistic delicate um artisan approach to how he deals with the bodies um like like there are scenes of pulling teeth and 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 cutting away flesh that feel so like you know like artistically deliberate on his part of the, that this is a, a ritualistic um like art for him and i think it's a it definitely comes through really well and pairs super well with like you know a, a few scenes earlier when he's like smashed the back of ted Raimi's head and his cgi eyes just came blasting out of his head <laughs> yeah um i think Vinny, yeah vinnie jones is great i think um something that is interesting in the movie because obviously Vinnie Jones can't talk because his tongue's been ripped out. He's in this is in this in this servitude to the, the people below. Um, we don't get anything internal from him, so he is like kind of we're always kind of like viewing him. We never we we only get these very intimate moments where he is dealing with the bodies or in his apartment. Um, yes, which comes with the weird like. There's the scene, the scene in his apartment with just him when he's cutting off the like fleshy, tumory bits off his chest, which is, I think, another thing that doesn't really come back around to meaning anything. He's just kind of yeah, that's very like, weird. I, I don't I know don't if it's know... like his body is decaying or something. I don't and, like, know if the. Uh, implication that they went with in the movie is that he has been the one murdering people for a hundred yeah, years or whatever. that's another a, thing. Like... Like, and this is like his weird side effects of his uh, anti-aging magic Yeah, because it, it's not quite like Candyman, where Candyman has like 
bare like bare internal organs and like like bone on display and he is like very clearly rotting he is like very much not of this world in how he appears mahogany besides that one bit is very much like you know he's still a human of his age like he's appearing age like i think you could potentially like make it more explicit that perhaps like there is some actual decay happening and and um i do think it doesn't really approach it in like like for what came in the final cut like it's he's cutting off like the weird barnacle growths on his chest he puts them in a jar and then that jar comes back when the girlfriend goes to his apartment and she drops it in the sink and then leaves leaves the apartment um that is the last that comes up we never see uh at the end of the movie we never see bradley cooper kaufman wear it like with anything like that yeah. Because I assume it's like, you know, it's literally his first day that we see at the end of the movie. It's there's no explanation of what that is. And like I think it'd be interesting if, you know, it if being, you know, the being the butcher kind of like decays you because you are like giving your life force to um like your like extended life force or whatever to to serving um the creatures. That's pretty cool. But like that's another one of those things that just doesn't go anywhere and just kind of grazes more questions <laughs> yeah exactly it raises more questions and like there's a lot of di- directions they could have gone with right like mm-hmm. uh, maybe he's just sick and that's why kaufman is able to defeat him even though he's a hulking mountain of a man uh uh-huh. yeah but that's probably not the read because then why would he be saving them all uh, yeah so th- there is certainly something occult going on and i can only imagine that they were planning to elaborate on that but yeah uh yeah it is what it is uh it is what it is um also weird the kind of branding thing that happens in this movie as opposed to the book oh yeah yeah both kaufman and uh vinnie have like these weird like superman emblem things carved into the chests yeah yeah weird because uh the implication is that Vinny is trying to kill Kaufman, but then when he actually knocks him unconscious, he survives and is taken back home. Yeah, there, that is a quite strange scene, which again, I think may have been some kind of changing in how the story went, but he, Kaufman gets branded at like the halfway point. There is a point where he is, like much like the end of the movie, he is on the train, he um, is confronted by Mahogany, he ends up knocked out, and when he wakes up, he is like he is like in the middle of of the subway, um, subway platform. He is branded with this like bloody mark um, that ultimately uh, mahogany also has, um, and like is that was mahogany actually like you know grooming him to become the next mahogany or that is the implication right that is the implication yeah and why is he so intent on fighting him yeah yeah why like is it like a trial of combat where like to become mahogany yes you 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 choose someone but then you have to like test them test their metal you've got to like can they can they kill you so you have to Mm -hmm. like come at them violently 
Yeah. Is that it, the implication? It, it might be, right? And it, yeah. like, it, it's not bad for a movie to have you asking questions and theorizing. Oh, yeah, not at all. But there's so little to go on in this one yeah. that there's no way to tell if you're even supposed to be considering these things, especially considering that it's not an original piece of work. Yes, it's and like so we, adding... we look to the source material for answers and it's not there. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's, it, the, the book is so much more streamlined in the events of things, whereas this is, you know, there are constant um, meetings between Mahogany and Kaufman, um, whereas in the book it is, you know, it, it's the one following one. Um, so again, it's one of those things that I wonder if, if it was if there's a cut scene where it made more sense or like... <laughs> It's, even if it was a line that was like the the train driver was like mahogany has picked you yeah and like it could be overt and like blunt as possible of like you know like in order to take this role um trial of combat is required or something like that would just like kind of make sense like oh right yeah the whole time that we thought kaufman was just kind of like only Kaufman was obsessed with with that kind of dynamic. It was the whole time Mahogany. Not only was he distrustful of of what Kaufman was doing, but he was scoping him out to become the next like take over his role. Um, yeah, and that would have been cool. Uh, like, I I'm not saying it's the most interesting way of doing things or the most artistic way of doing things to just have a character give exposition that way. It's been done in every movie ever. But yeah, at least it would have be cool in the way that it gives us a way of like we've already watched the entire movie and now things that we've seen uh make sense in a different way we yes, see that yeah. uh mahogany has also had this kind of reverse obsession with kaufman yes and the scenes where we thought he was being standoffish because he's a brute who doesn't speak he was actually taking an interest in the man mm-hmm. that would have been very it would have been better. I'll just say that. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do really like, um, going back to the the engagement scene, um, the Kaufman like does this whole thing where he gives he gives his girlfriend a ring, and um, you know this is an engagement to be engaged because I can't afford a, a, a proper engagement ring. And at the end of the movie, after he kills Mahogany, Mahogany like passes on his ring, <laughs> of, like you know that, that indicates his servitude to. Yeah, they're married now. To Kaufman, they are. Yeah, they are now married. Um, well, that's so that's so nice with some LGBT representation. <laughs> in Two thousand eight. I think, I think, um, I mean, like, as I said, Vinnie Jones is great. Um, yes. He, the, the faces he is making throughout this movie can be very funny um, because he can never, he never talks for obvious reasons. Um, like whenever he's, whenever there's anyone on the subway before he's like in, in um, like professional mode of like killing people um, before the the midnight, midnight train, he's like, like, trying to emote in different ways and it doesn't really come off very well there's a there's a great scene where like these kids are coming around trying to sell chocolate to people and he is like putting on the grumpiest face possible the whole time um and um ultimately like stands out towering over these kids and then pulls out like a dollar or whatever yeah. <laughs> and the kids just leave but it's it's very funny like it's not disrespect to Vinnie Jones like I, I know he's a great actor he's not a great actor like 
he doesn't have the greatest emotional range, especially when he can't talk. <laughs> it's just very funny in that regard. I, I don't think it's uh, an indictment of anyone's talents to say that it, they're not great at acting without talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It's exactly. a very hard thing to do. Um, yeah. I think Vinnie Jones as Mahogany is one of the best parts of this movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he, he, think, he carries it. I so think much. in the switch from a, a, a literary to a visual medium, uh, like this, where you can't fixate on characters' internal monologue in the same way, I think the decision to change Mahogany's character makes total sense. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it feels like so much, so much mm-hmm. thought was put into how Mahogany is, um, is is shown and is is characterized in such in such interesting ways. Like I think he is, like, he isn't just another silent killer. He's not another Jason or or Michael Myers. He is far more interesting in in different ways. Yes. Um, because there is there is that thought put into how to adapt what he he represents um in in the story um to make him more than just yes he's a big he's a big guy with a big meat cleaver uh, not meat cleaver, a meat mallet that is going around beating people with it and and like cutting them up but like that I said there is a lot of like um genuine interest in in Kaufman from him there is like yeah. Um, sense of bonding. There is like the artistic approach to his work that is really cool. Um, he's yeah, he's a he's a great character. Yeah, and um, like Book Mahogany uh, is a character who he's the second POV character in the book. And yes, we get a lot of his internal monologue, and he's uh, he's a very proud individual. He's very proud of his work. He's very proud of the fact that he is untouchable by the law. Yeah. Uh, and he becomes a foil for Kaufman in that way. Very much uh, what Kaufman could could be and will be eventually in that way. <clears throat> when you can't have that internal uh, dialogue, I think the uh, choice of making him a an enigma in this way uh-huh. is for sure uh, probably the best approach they could have taken. And especially with yeah. Vinnie Jones, who physically has that stature. You put him yeah. in a suit, you have him uh, sit in that way with his uh, bag on his lap. Uh-huh. Oh, instantly, yeah, that's so, yeah. yeah. Instantly, you put you set him apart from the crowd, right? There's, some, there's something strange about this guy. Yeah. There's it's more like, to him. It's, like, awkward, but it's... There is something suspicious. There is something intriguing about him. He, but he's also like comes off as like this shy guy the whole time. It's, yeah, it, it's, it's like funny and uncomfortable, uncomfortable yeah. in the same way. Uh, and also like the fact that we know instead of knowing everything about his internal monologue, we now know nothing. And because yeah. of that, there's no way for us to tell if he is enjoying what he's doing. If he's being forced into doing it, yeah, if he is looking for a way out. You know, does he take any pride in his work? Yeah, is he is he just waiting to pass on the torch, right? Um, yeah, and in that way, uh, that could have been an interesting parallel to do uh, towards the ending with with when Kaufman takes over to portray this as more of a yeah. Uh, an unfortunate duty, a burden or a curse. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Which is a a, a very distinct 
uh, interpretation that opposes the book in that way. And I think that could have been cool. I think I, I mentioned this in my Ladder Voice review as one of the things that makes this movie very funny. But the scene with the the like uh, with the black guy on the train who like tries to intimidate Vinnie Jones. Oh yeah, um, right. And and I don't know who decided that the line he was going to say was going to be "Life is like a box of chocolates," but that is the only line that guy has after he's like he's tried to like like pretend intimidate Kaufman uh, uh, Mahogany. And then he's like, haha, life's like a box of chocolates, and then walks off and then gets the shit beaten out of him by Mahogany. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like that movie. <laughs> it's so bizarre. Um Like I hate Forrest Gump. Don't even <laughs> don't even quote it. <laughs> so so bizarre. Uh yeah. What what do you think Mahogany watches on television? Oh, he has a television in his apartment. That's true. He does. I don't know. He's he's. I assume he's into like like farming shows and stuff. He's oh, into yeah. like agriculture of some kind, or like he probably there's probably like like a cooking channel he watches that does like like meat, like butchering and stuff that sort of thing. That's like he's always like picking up that because he's he's very obviously very engaged with like meat in that way. Yeah. Do you think he uh, he w- wishes he was a farmer? Potentially, yeah. That seems like a a, a quieter existence. Yeah, I, f- I think he's like when I retire, you know. I think there could have been some like while his mystery there is a lot of like importantly a lot of mystery around him. I think something that would have indicated what he did before would have been interesting. Like uh-huh. because we know by the end of the movie that like the the butchers are ultimately drafted for their role. Yeah. Um, it would have been interesting to get some kind of is is there anything because like if if Kaufman has this you know like last connection to his girlfriend while he's doing the job does Mahogany have anything? I was just about to say that yeah why yeah. they could have put a scene earlier on where a Mahogany has like a picture of uh his wife and kids right yeah and then that parallels to the later scene and we can assume that oh they're probably dead. Yeah. Something like that, to give him a bit more depth as a human being as opposed to the book. Yeah. Because as you said, there is no there is no internal monologue from Kaufman and uh, from Mahogany. Everything we get is kind of more intimate moments that explain the current Mahogany. Um without kind of giving us any look into what may have come before, which I think again, given the ending of the movie, feels very appropriate and i think we it would have been nice to have like again could have just been a picture in the corner of the room um and i think that just would have been such an interesting touch of like because at that point we don't know anything about his role so like him having a family or like him having i don't know having like hobbies at home would have been a really interesting thing because it kind of shows what he's lost as like becoming the butcher or, and also, while we are, like, um, while we're following Kaufman's obsession, it's like, this guy has a lot more going on than just he works at a butcher's and he goes on the train and kills people. Like, what, like yeah, there's like a degree of something missing. I think, you know, he could be into knitting or something and it would just work, like, just to flesh his, like, 
history out a little bit, which would be nice. Yeah. Well, literally anything would work, right? Because we, yeah. he, he is a blank slate in that way. The scene where he gives money to the children, it's like... Oh, yeah, yeah. That's another thing. Is, is he weak to peer pressure? Or does yeah. he like children? Or does he do it to uphold appearances? Yeah, because we get, like, he obviously works in the butchers, but, like, that is, you know, that's one, it's his job during the day, and it's probably, like, you know, it's a cover for him <laughs> killing people, and probably where he, you know, it's where he gets his tools, it's where he, I imagine, will take bodies that are not used or whatever. It is very much a, like, um, kind of still connected to his 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 killing. It's not a... Yeah, like, I mean, the butcher shop itself... It connects to the secret tunnel. Yeah, yeah. So everyone there is in on it, likely. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd say that's very likely. It's yeah. <laughs> to, to to repeat myself again, like just something would have been really really interesting to have, like that works beforehand when it's just kind of establishing his character of you know we've already kind of like hinted at kind of like a slight tenderness that he has that maybe he had before he became mahogany um and something that once you have seen the end of the movie when you've seen kaufman become um become mahogany like oh right this is one of the things he is holding on to from before he like when he actually had like a proper will of his own yeah it would have been nice to have something to speculate based upon it, at the very least. I think yeah. it's very easy to also make the mistake of giving too much info. I don't think we need a flashback. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, uh, But just... Uh, and, and like... Uh, the idea of like not having the context until the end of the movie as well, I think would also be a good idea. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, shall we talk a bit about some positive things about the movie? Other oh than yeah, absolutely. Mania, yeah. Maybe. I, I don't want to give people the false impression that this is like yeah, some, no, some I, garbage I, film. I, again, I should reiterate to people, this is one of my favourite movies. Like, yeah. One of my favourite movies of the two, uh, horror movies of the 2000s. I, I really like this movie. I think it's one of Kitamura's best. Um, Kitamura, in general, is just so good at, like, single-set um, excess moments. Like, uh, one of my favourite movies of his, um, Downrange, which I think um, might actually be getting a, a, an excess cinema episode on it at some point. Um, is about um, these teens whose car breaks down in the desert, um, at, like like you know like like a rural America kind of uh, desert area, um, like Arizona, I guess. Um, and there is a sniper in the tree um, across the road who is slowly picking them off, um, and it's like the whole movie pretty much takes place around the side of this like broken down car. Um, yet it still manages to be like super maximalist, super like um, like um, vulgar, vulgar like excess in that way, and it's it's like really a testament to Kiedemura's like um, approach to making horror movies that he's able to take so much out of a movie that takes place around the side of a car with one threat coming from one place. It's very um it's very impressive and i think this movie like the train stuff is great i think it's really funny when people run away from mahogany on a tr moving train um yeah. train is a great like, set piece as well for a horror movie yeah you can't get off of a train yeah constantly moving um it's it's yeah it's good in that way 
I should also say, because um, we talked to when we talked about the mo- uh, the book, like um, the kind of cyclical violence, and obviously at the end of the movie, Kaufman becomes mahogany, and he goes around. Um, the last shot of the movie is him, or like you, it's not revealed. It's it's Kaufman, but you know it's Kaufman um, until the very last shot. But he's walking through the train with with mahogany's gear, um, and and last second he turns to the camera. But on the way, he passes a mo- a guy that was on the train at the start of the movie. Um, yeah. Because at the start of the movie, the establishing shot is um, this guy who wakes up on the train, um, slips in a bunch of blood. Uh, goes towards the carriage door and sees kind of a obscured figure like um, mutilating a body um, and then at the end of the movie you find out oh right it's all coming in a loop that was um, that was Kaufman that wasn't Mahogany um, yeah I don't think a movie has ever faked me out with an in media res opening like that before yeah it's it's cool it's like because you're not paying any attention you haven't seen Mahogany yet so like we we don't have any establishing shot of mahogany yet, yeah. But like it doesn't it doesn't immediately register as like oh that's Bradley Cooper. So it's yeah. like you no, know I, it, I thought the, it works the, really well. Yeah, I thought the guy we started on was uh, yeah was Kaufman, but he's also dis- I was yeah it's also waiting for him to shave his head the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, it's distinctly not like um uh like like specifically hiding the person. It's showing a person. It's just that. When you're watching the movie, you're not really acknowledging who it is, and when you're interested to Vinnie, introduced to Vinnie Jones, it's like, oh, it's Vinnie Jones, I guess. <laughs> I wasn't paying any attention. Yeah, like it's it's a really good like um, loop that the movie makes in that way, um, um, and it, you know it brings into question what happens to that guy, and like I imagine he <laughs> he gets killed, but what if like he is the guy who ends up getting groomed for the next role? Yeah, um, and that's also like that. Because that is kind of what I assumed would be the adaptation of the scene uh-huh. uh, I described from the book. And I think it's certainly a callback to that, right? When, yeah. uh, But this time it's not Kaufman who falls asleep on the train, wakes up and realizes people are being murdered. Yeah. I remember when I, when I finished the movie, um, I watched the movie again last night, I was checking the credits to see who was like working on it. And I think seeing what the guy who wrote it, Jeff Bueller, has worked on recently kind of explains a lot of the weird scripting because he worked on the Pet Cemetery reboot that not many people likes and the Grudge reboot, which I think is like one of the <laughs> lowest rated horror movies, like, you know, like big commercial horror movies in recent years. Um, so well, he's that not, explains it. <laughs> not had the best like uh, a run of things recently, and it kind of explains some of the wonky, uh, non-committal writing that happens in the actual movie. It, it makes sense because some things in this movie feel like they were only in the movie because they're in other horror movies. Yeah. Um. Or or other genre movies, I guess. I already yeah. mentioned the parallels to like a rom com with the whole leaving your uh, career to pursue what's truly important in life. Uh-huh. But then also like the romance that has to be in there, the MacGuffins in uh, in his apartment. Yeah. The heroic yelling no and, and jumping <laughs> on the train, which they didn't yeah. even get his catchphrase into the movie, which is fuck it. Yeah. There's, yeah, there... The writing in this movie and like like the the like structure of this movie definitely brings down what is like otherwise a really like interesting take on the story. 
Um, yeah, for sure. It, and, and I have to reiterate, it's uh, an extremely interesting movie to look at. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For sure the best part of the movie, in my opinion. Yeah. And the uh, the the cinematographer this, for this movie um, went on to do a bunch of high-profile stuff. He did John Wick. He did uh, Deadpool 2. He did a bunch of the movies that um, David Leitch has directed. So that's like Hobbs and Shaw and um, Comic Blonde. And he's doing what I think might be a David Leitch movie is the, the um, Brad Pitt train movie that's coming out this year. The like Brad Pitt assassin movie that takes place on a um, Japanese bullet train. So he's it's all coming full circle for him. He's doing another train movie. Oh, that sounds nice. You mentioned Hobson Shaw, and I just I jumped to the scene from Hobson Shaw where they're uh, playing parallel to each other, uh, Hobson Shaw and how they start their day. Oh and yeah, I that imagine that so scene good. with Kaufman and uh, and Mahogany instead. That's so good. That could have been something. What if uh, Mahogany was the Rock, like? <laughs> Do you think if they made this movie today, like they'd get someone like The Rock for this? <laughs> like, I actually do think that. Yeah, I don't think Vinny is is as high profile as the buff guy actor anymore. Unfortunately, yeah. maybe because he's got like the square face going on, he would still be a candidate. Yeah, but I think like also, The Rock seems to be taking any movie roles. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and he has been is. for the last 10 years. <laughs> Except Fast and Furious. Uh-huh, yeah, he's distinctly not doing those movies. Yeah, no more of those. But I think it'd also be very funny, like, Dwayne Johnson just not talking for the whole movie, because, like, he's kind of known for, like, wisecracking. So, like, oh, yeah, I think when he read the script, he would opt out. Yeah, he'd be like, can I can I make a dick joke in this movie? Yeah, can I talk trail, about right? how, how large my penis is? <laughs> yeah, can I talk about my biceps? It's just an entirely out-of-character moment where, like, it's the scene on the plane in Hobson Shaw, just a random scene when um, Mahogany and Kaufman meet on the train for the first time that leads to him getting branded, and it's just, like, a dick-measuring contest randomly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, imagine if... Imagine a parallel universe where they make this movie, but um, but Mahogany has one-liners every time he kills someone. <laughs> it would be funny. Uh, no, I, I do think they would maybe reach out to The Rock, actually. Yeah, they, they definitely... Maybe John think, Cena like, as well. John Cena's another one. John Cena would also work as, like, big silent guy. Yeah. He does look... He, he has more, like, facial similarities with, with Vinny. Yeah. The Rock has, he's kind of got uh, a, a bowling ball head. Yeah. Because a lot of the actors who are like also would fit in, in that role um, kind of, they're like kind of past their prime in a way and probably aren't, I mean, granted, like, I was thinking like Dolph Lundgren, but like, he's he's like doing his own thing. He'll be he's, in he's like, busy. <laughs> he's on direct video stuff. Like, same with like Jean-Claude Van Damme. I'm thinking of like, um, the last Universal Soldier movie where everyone is like absolutely miserable, <laughs> like that they that kind of performance would work. Put Chuck Scott Adkins in there, make it make it a director video action movie. What if they got Bruce Willis? Bruce Willis, I mean, he's another guy who's just in everything now. He'll do whatever. Yeah, he's he owes someone some debts because he's <laughs> in any movie he can get. Maybe he's just trying to break uh, an IMDb record. <laughs> most fake looking movies 
yeah. <laughs> most fake movie looking movie starred in or something. No, I, I think Vinnie Jones is the optimal choice for the role. Yeah, because he's he's great because it's like he is known for like um like good not one liners, but like thinking of like his like um Guy Ritchie performances and stuff. Like he is he's like quick witted in a way, he's got like a smarmy, like cockney vibe to him. Yeah, he's but, good like, he's good at dialogue. Yeah, he's like there's that infamous X-Men the Last Stand scene with him as Juggernaut. Um like there are there are like known like Vinnie Jones sort of like like performances. And like I think just going stripping him back to him just being like a silent kind of hulking killer is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think really good casting on Vinny. Yeah. Uh, I am opinionless on the rest of the casting. I think they should have got um, Jake Gyllenhaal for the main role, but yeah. in fairness, he hadn't made Nightcrawler yet. Yeah, I think I think yeah, he would have been good. Bradley Cooper is fine. I I mean, they look of... kind of similar, but yeah, I can't say I've ever really seen. Bradley Cooper and anything have been like, damn, this guy's great. I've he's just kind of there. I'll tell you what, when I watched The Hangover, when I was, I was gonna say the hangover, old, yeah. <laughs> I was enamored. <laughs> yeah, like in like I guess like serious roles, he's not like ever like impressed me. Um mm-hmm. and the kind of the kind of era of his stuff is kind of past. He was like big in like 2012 to 2014, and now like I mean besides like he's you know, obviously in Marvel movies as Rocket Raccoon, but like doesn't do a lot of like that stands out. So like, yeah, he's he's fine. The rest of the cast is fine. <laughs> like yeah. the Delhi guy is funny. He's, the Delhi guy is funny. I yeah. I feel for him because his his like only worker is <laughs> like off doing other stuff. Which is just doesn't come she, into like, work. <laughs> runs in, steals his gun from the underneath the the counter, and then leaves. Yeah, I mean that happens a lot in New York. To be fair, yeah. No, I I really like all of the deli scenes were really funny. The tofu yeah. one was really good. Yes, that was good. Um, can't understand what kind of madman eats unseasoned fried blocks of tofu though. <laughs> I can only assume whoever like. Whoever's cool it was to like script that would just didn't know what like vegans eat. Yeah, just a Tupperware with a huge block of tofu. <laughs> that's all people eat. That's that's all. That's that's all of it. <laughs> it wouldn't even be cooked all the way through. It wouldn't. No, it would be pretty gross. <laughs> It's not even he's like, oh, can you do like this like tofu forward dish? He's like, can you literally put tofu on the grill? Yeah, and I will eat it. Like, no wonder the deli guy like deli guy is against it. Like, he's like, no, I'm not feeding you like just random soybean protein shoved on the grill. <laughs> like, yeah, which is also like, I don't think a vegan would eat food from the same grill. Yeah, that is the other thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like he's been, you know, he's been cooking bacon there and steaks. Yeah. And also, like he, he's like, oh, tofu doesn't taste anything, which, like, yes, it does. It yeah, tastes it does, like especially tofu. when, you, especially when you cook it in bacon fat as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 that's kind of funny. Like the seed where he tries steak 
again and it's like oh this is actually this is actually what i need right now it's like you've been eating tofu that's been cooked on a flat top that has like only been cooking steak and bacon all day like you've yeah. tasted steak before not directly but like you have been eating like beef fat <laughs> yeah like this is a new new york deli right there's probably yeah. more actual high quality meat in the block of tofu than in the whatever he was served Yes, probably. <laughs> Which is to say none. Yeah, funny scenes in the deli. Definitely. Uh, any other standouts for the movie? We've mentioned the blood. It's really cool, like black murky yeah. blood aesthetic. Uh, yeah, I think the um, I think the subway is characterized really well. Um, like, I think it, it, it gets the, like, late night. Obviously, it's the midnight meat train. It's the last train, pretty much. It's like really well characterized as kind of like an unearthly space um i think more more overtly with the the ted raimi scene where they're like hey it's a, it's a new century the the subway is all good now but oh, like you know what they should have done they should have uh they should have if they're only gonna have ted raimi for one scene anyway mm-hmm. uh, he's kind of hitting on another guy's wife and they're kind of talking about yeah. doing like a free something he, yeah. he should have said uh, something along the lines of, uh, we can run a, a midnight meat train on her. <laughs> because the book name drops the title. Yeah. The title drops. Uh, Kaufman thinks to himself, like, oh, there's people killed on this train. It's the midnight meat train. Yeah. The movie should as well. <laughs> That'd be a good title drop. Uh, yeah, no, you were saying... Yeah, no, I just think the uh, the subway's just characterized really well. I love the shots of like descending into the subway. Um, the the shots on the train are great. I love the like um, the the shots of the bodies all hung up down the the, the like alley, um, the alleyway of the train. That's super good. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, it I love didn't register the... for me for some reason reading the book that for them to be hung upside down. The hope oh, would yeah, actually yeah. have to go through like the foot. Yeah, I love the bit where the girlfriend's trying to get like Jurgis off, and like she's like struggling with the the like like hooking his feet. Yeah, um, he's still alive. Alex, yeah, Alex, which is impressive. Like I guess he was just dealt with. Um, I love like as I said the like care and attention the mahogany takes with each of the bodies, and like um, like really like treats it as um as an art form it's it's a really really well done bit yeah I, I think it's also just really striking to have bodies lined up um in a in a subway car it's very it yeah it stands out it's kind of grotesque and and um striking in that way yeah they didn't capture everything that barker put into it but the mm-hmm. the subway imagery uh for sure yeah, but like to like adapt the midnight meat train maybe in a stronger way, like cutting out the girlfriend stuff and like focusing on like the obsession that builds up between Mahogany and Kaufman the whole time is is super good. I think you can do a lot more with the um like um photography angle and that because that really 
ends up not really meaning anything by the end of the movie. Um, it, yeah. It's all like kind of establishing, which is great. I think it's good. But like by the end of the movie, there is no indication of his work as a photographer being um, like continuing or like, like, is that his hobbies <laughs> still? Does he take pictures of, on the train? Like, is there any kind of like lingering like obsession with with the lens and stuff that, that maybe would have been um more poignant towards the end um yeah also it's very go, funny that could go together as well with his like uh searching for the true image of new york or whatever yeah it's like him taking pictures of the crimes he commits and like keeping yeah. them in an album or something yeah, I think that really would bring things back around super well. Like, there, there is certainly care and attention put to, like, what Mahogany Mahogany Kaufman is doing now that he is, like, in servitude. Like, there is he's clearly not, like, mindless. Um, and, it you know, that reinforces what Mahogany's been doing the whole movie and, like, adds more agency to what he's been doing. And, like, I think... You know, you could maybe go a little further to, like, really, you know, add a striking end to, like, you know, he started this movie with the the kind of lurid voyeuristic photographs that he's, like, been trying to make a career with. And now he is producing both the photographs and the subject of the photograph. Mm -hmm. um, it, it would It would really kind of capstone that idea really well, I think. It would kind of have some interesting connotations as well in terms of expression, right? Because he can't speak anymore. Yeah. So uh, his art would be like the only way he has of communicating like uh, his, his inner thoughts and emotions. I, I'm not saying I think the movie would have done a lot with that, but it could be an interesting thing to speculate upon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, an interesting thing could have been if they went the other way of instead of making it a feature length film, if they really cut it down to just the bare essentials and made a very short film. Yeah, no, I think that would work. That trimmed the fat even from the short story itself. Um, I'm imagining yeah. like a, I don't know, a five minute uh, silent film, maybe. Oh, yeah, you totally could, yeah. That's just. Uh, Shows Kaufman getting ready to get on the train. Shows Mahogany getting ready to go on the train. Shows the scene of him falling asleep. Uh, because it's such a visual movie in, or, or a story in that way that you could do yeah. that. Yeah, no, I think that would work. Yeah, I think, like, because you're always going to have obstacles when adapting a very short source material into a very long film. Yeah, especially a very internal one as well. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the world has enough long movies as well. <laughs> Sometimes I want to watch <laughs> something pretty short that's uh, free of any fat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that wraps up my thoughts on the movie. Is there anything else? Um, no, I've, I think I've uh, I've said everything as well. It's a it's a good movie. It's uh, yeah. it's for sure worth watching. I yeah. think narratively it is very confused. We have perhaps got into the bottom of that. Yeah. <laughs> this episode. Uh, but like I said, visually stunning. There's a lot of fun stuff with the cinematography. Uh, the first kill where she plays music and gets her head bashed in. 
<laughs> some of the dopest shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mahogany is a great and imposing character. And how long is it? Uh, it's like an hour and 40 or something. 98 minutes. That's, yeah. a, that's a decent length of time. It, it doesn't overstate its welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the like Nightcrawler uh, angle on it is pretty cool. I, I, I like the new ideas it brings to the table. I just yeah uh, think maybe they should have done them better. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and I also think you should read the book as well if you if you watch the movie. Yes, absolutely. Like it's the you know first proper story. It <laughs> will not require very much reading to get to. It yeah. is. Uh, this was uh, the books of blood was his like his debut as well, right? Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, he was uh, writing plays all day during the day, and then he would yeah. come home and and write the books of blood. Mm-hmm. Really strong start. Yeah, but yeah, that that will wrap up our discussion on the Midnight Meat Train. Um, if you go to Access Cinema Pod on Twitter, uh, you can find all of our Ko-Fi link and previous episodes. Um, and if you look in the description, Carl and I's um, socials and stuff will be found there if you want to connect with us in any way. Um, I don't actually know what movie we're going to do next week. We'll probably do one of Clive Barker's kind of directorial things again and like kind of really get into him as a director. I think that would be interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm itching for some, uh, some Clive yeah. Barker directorial stuff as well. Yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you.